0: Hello, friends. Welcome to the Stoic Coffee Break. My name is Eric Loward. Today's episode is a bonus episode. So I did an interview last week for uh, Memento of the Stoics, which is a podcast uh, from a, a great guy who lives over in England. Uh, his name is Santiago and Pranau. I think is how you say his last name. I'm terrible about reading Spanish. So anyway, it was uh, it was a really fun interview, and Santiago asked if I would be willing to post this on my podcast. So. Today's episode is a bonus episode and not to worry, uh, next week there will be a regular episode as well. So sit back and enjoy this interview and thanks again for listening.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to Memento the Stoics. My name is Santiago and today I have a very exciting interview with Eric Lowert from Stoic Coffee Break. So when I got this interview, I mean, when I, when Eric accepted to be on the show, I was so excited because Stoic Coffee Break has been one of my main resources to learn about stoicism. I've started listening to it ever since I started learning about stoicism. So it was such a huge honor to have Eric on the show. So as you can probably tell, I'm definitely nervous at times, especially at the beginning. So I apologize for that. I'll leave the links in the description, of course, for his podcast and his website. But for now, I really hope you enjoy this interview. So we're here with Eric Lyward. Uh, I want to first give a chance for Eric to introduce himself and thank you for much to be in the podcast. So Eric, can you tell us what do you do? Who are you?
0: Who am I? I think that's the the question that all of us are trying to answer. <laughs> exactly. <It's laughs> not deep, but like, <laughs> let's let's start, you know, on, a, on a nice this. light topic. Who are you? <laughs> As um, a
1: human, go on. <laughs>
0: So, my name is Eric Cloward. I have a podcast called The Stoic Coffee Break. Mm -hmm. Um, I started it at the beginning of this year, and surprisingly enough, it kind of took off, and people are actually listening to me talk about stoicism. The main reason I started the podcast was that I wanted to just practice making a podcast, and stoicism Mm -hmm. is the thing that was on my mind at the time, and started talking about it, and then pretty soon people started listening and emailing me, and it. So yeah it's I've gotten over a hundred thousand downloads so far, and it just keeps building each week, nice slow progression and uh, yeah, so that's what I do i I also have a blog called the Stoic I well, just stoic so that's mm-hmm. where I host my podcast, and I usually have the transcripts and the uh, any downloads that I have and also you know links to the podcast itself and yeah, that's kind of what I do.
1: Awesome. Yeah, no, I've been a big fan of your podcast for a while, and I've always wondered why. Why do you say to name it Stoic Offerberg? What? What is the origin of that?
0: Um, well, it was originally called Stoic Meditations, and then okay. there was another one called Stoic Meditations, which was done by uh,
1: Massimo Pellucci. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And he's <laughs> a
0: he's an actual professor of philosophy. And right. I'm like, well, I'm a little bit outclassed here. So um, just <laughs> to avoid any confusion on it, even though I don't sound at all like Massimo. Um, right. I was looking around at different domain names that, that could work, you know, like the Stoic life or all kinds of different things like that. And then, mm-hmm. um, I was just scrolling, th- you know, put in Stoic and one of them that came up with Stoic.coffee. And I was just like, Hey, I like that Stoic oh. coffee break. And so I just, just decided to rename it Stoic coffee break and, you know, kind of like a, Hey, here's, you know, here's 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day that you can kind of just chill out and, and, have a thought on stoicism and that's kind of the origin of it origin of it and uh yeah so half the time i'm doing it while drinking a cup of coffee this morning it's Mm. a a chai tea but it's a a coffee chai thing
1: (laughs) right no it's a really cool origin and what i really liked about your podcast especially when you're starting is like this very short episode so i compared uh, massimo does that too like he does like very short episodes but usually the podcasts that i listen to are lot longer so it was always nice to have like a little coffee break as you call it like I thought of it as a little thing that you could just go for it anytime so that's really cool it was very short yeah
0: and that's and some of it was just because I I didn't have anything else to talk about after I reached a point where I'm like this is all I have to say about this but some of it was also I didn't want to ramble on there I wanted to make sure that what I had to say was clear concise and really to the point and which was part of the reason why it took so long is that because i wanted to make sure that i was really putting some value in those those few minutes was that i would write basically write out the whole episode and what i wanted to talk about the day before and that would take me two or three hours even just for like you know two pages worth of text right because i really wanted to make sure that i was getting something meaty in there i didn't want to just kind of go yeah here's this thing we talk about and blah 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 and just kind of Mm -hmm. ramble on i wanted to make sure that I really sat down and just and thought about it and kind of looked at it from different angles. And oftentimes I would start off with one and, you know, there's the saying and then there's, you know, what Mm -hmm. we think that saying means or what that quote means. And then the more I thought about it, the more I kind of looked at it from a different angle. I'm like, well, what if we thought about it like this kind of flipped it on its head and would look at it in a totally different way. And that was really helpful for me sometimes. Um, like one that a one simple example of that was, there was a great quote. It said, circumstances don't make the man. They simply reveal him to himself. And, you know, first you think, oh, that, that's basically like saying, um, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Right. It's kind of a, and then I thought about it. I'm like, no, actually what he's saying is, is a little bit deeper than that. And that's the idea that everybody can have the exact same circumstances, or you can have multiple people that have the same thing happen to them. And they will act in completely different ways mm. based upon how they've decided to act and what kind of person they are so it truly does reveal you to yourself it because the same thing can happen you know my you know you could lose your partner or something like that and one person it can, destroys them and they can fall into a depression for years another person it maybe breaks their heart and they're they're down for a month or two and then they go you know what i don't want my partner would hate it if I suffered the rest of my life for them. So I'm going to dedicate my life to making a good life in memory of them. I mean, there's so many different ways that you could, you could take a tragedy and do something with it. And that's really what he meant was that circumstances won't make you you make you
1: Right? Well, that's a good one. And I've heard you talking about that. And it reminds me of a Petitus saying how it's not things themselves, but how we react to them. So it's a lot about that. And then uh, yeah, so everything's perspective, everything is the way we approach to it because it can vary from person to person is all about the response. So yeah, that that's really cool. And then I wanted to ask you like, why, why stoicism is a way that you picked of life? Like why is it your main philosophy?
0: I think for me it was that I'm, uh, I'm, I'd like to think of myself as fairly rational, but I've been reading, uh, Robert Crane's latest book, the laws of human nature and and the i love it in the first part of it he goes he goes you are not rational you love to think you are rational but (laughs) you are a completely irrational person everybody is and he walks through why we're completely irrational i'm reading this going oh man he's so right oh wow (sighs) um but for me i think a lot of it was because i grew up in a religious background and it just always felt there was always the suspension of disbelief that you had to do to believe a lot of the things they say because they would. They were contradicted by scientific evidence, or in my case, I would just look at something and go, well, that doesn't make sense to me. That seems backwards from what what my experience is. But there was this, no, you have to believe this because we said this. And what I like about Stoicism is it's saying, don't believe everything you see, don't believe everything you hear, question everything. And you really need to be as rational about this as you can, even when you feel completely irrational. And that you're going to be completely irrational and and basically don't believe your senses. They're going to lie to you plenty of times. I mean, how many times have we seen a shadow in the dark and thought for sure it was like a snake or, or whatever we thought it was and it scared the crap out of us only <laughs> to shine a light on it and, oh, it was just a tree branch or you know it was just a rope or whatever. So for me, because of that, that idea of being exceptionally logical, but not being cut off from your emotions just understanding your emotions you know it's a it's a great way of emotional regulation and i found out later after i started looking at stoicism and and seeing how it impacted my life in a fairly dramatic way is that it's the core of cognitive behavioral therapy which is considered one of the best psychotherapies that are out there and it's you know when i read up on that i'm like well that makes perfect sense
1: Right. No, that's that's very interesting because for me, that was the first approach I had to it. Like I first went to a psychologist and I started learning about this and then I landed on Stoicism. So that's an amazing connection to raise.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's very much just a, it's not dogmatic. It's just about, hey, your experience is going to happen. Here's some tools to manage your experience. We're not going to tell you how to live your life. Here's some tools to help you decide how the best way is to live your life. That to me was really, you know, just a much more empowering way to deal with it. And it's much more flexible because if you have a very dogmatic approach, when something comes up where you have those gray areas, and most of life is exceptionally gray, then people want those hard and fast rules. And I find that those can be incredibly damaging because you can hold a belief so strongly for so long, only to find out 10 years later that that was a terrible belief for you to hold. I mean, Look at the way society has treated women for so long. You know, the belief that women, you know, weren't smart enough, weren't, right. you know, didn't have this capacity to do all of these things. They could never be scientists. They could never be mathematicians. They could never be computer programmers. They could never do any of these things. And there are places in the home and all of these things like that. And yet now we look at that and realize what a ridiculous belief we have. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, and the way that we treat other people, oftentimes we'll hold a belief about a group because we've been told this way. And anytime you have anything that's very dogmatic that way, that believes in absolutes, then you're setting yourself up for behaving in a way that later you might regret, where if you keep things open and you test every belief and you test these things and you find out what's the best way to do this and what do I truly believe, then you're going to be much closer to the core values that you truly hold for yourself.
1: Right. Oh, that's, that's really interesting. It's it's a lot about what Socrates used to say, to always ask questions, to always go deeper. Mm-hmm. So it's like this idea of knowing oneself, like he always says, and understanding these things in the core and questioning why do we believe whatever we believe in as a society and as ourselves. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love philosophy. I've been trying to learn about it for a while now. Um, I mean, not as much as you, of course, but... <laughs> But either way, like, I, I always question, like, what is the best way to introduce someone to philosophy, especially to Stoicism? How would you explain it to someone who doesn't know what philosophy is?
0: Wow. Um, when people ask me, you know, well, you know, the, we'll be talking about things. And it's like, you know, what do you do? And I talk about some of my interests and, you know, I mentioned the podcast. And I'm like, oh, well, how would you describe Stoicism in a nutshell? <laughs> and... um yeah, and I, I haven't quite mastered the elevator pitch yet. That's yeah, one of sorry. the things that I, I need oh, to sure. sit down and ride. But I think for me, I just talk about some of the core tenets. And to right. me, you know, the first and most important rule is that there, there are things in this life that you can mm-hmm. control and there are things that you can't control. Exactly. And the hardest part is understanding the difference. Mm-hmm. And once you understand that difference and you take control of the things you can control – and let go of the things you can't, your life is going to be much easier. And the other way that I talk about it, and I've mentioned this in my podcast before, is I look at it as, you know, control is kind of like two sides of the same coin. If you if you don't control the things that are within your control, then you're allowing yourself to be a victim. If you try to control the things that are outside of your control, then you're simply stressing yourself out because you can't control those things. Right. And so that's why for me, that's like that biggest fundamental rule is understanding what you can and can't control. And then the second thing is, is that everything is opinion. Everything is perspective. It's all how you look at it. You know, one person's saint is another person's sinner. One person's junk is another man's treasure there. It's all about how you look at things. And I know a lot of people don't like that squishy (laughs) middle because it means that they have to step up to the plate and put work in they want something that's easy, which is tell me what I'm supposed to believe. Tell me what I want to, what I want to hear. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. And this is like, no, you have to figure that out for yourself. Hmm. And a lot of people have a hard time with that, I think. But for me, those are kind of the two biggest things with stoicism. Hmm. Is, like I said, control and perspective are, are two of the biggest things. And then what, but kind of the side effects of that are when you have control over the things that you can control, and you let go of what you can't, and that you understand that your perspective is simply an opinion, then right. it really just gives you a lot of power back in your life. And it takes a lot of fear away from your life. Because if something is out of your control and it's happening to you, you can just be like, okay, there's nothing I can do about this. So I can't stress about this. What are the things that I can do? And by doing that, then you reduce a lot of fear in your life.
1: No, that's, that's super interesting. I, I love this part of the story. of you mentioned this before we don't have to have an opinion over everything i think marcus said that and it's yeah. such an interesting concept like how how do you see that because i think we are programmed to believe that we need to have a an opinion over everything and it's kind of like choosing the things that we're ignorant of because we don't need to know everything
0: yeah exactly i mean there one of the one of the hard yeah. things that i had growing up is in my family there was this kind of a, a bit of know it allism if you will, mm-hmm. you know, I had to know everything about everything. Otherwise we might, might look dumb and so on. Right. Oftentimes I would pipe up with an opinion about something I really didn't know anything about, but I wanted to look smart. I wanted people to think that I knew what was going on. And, and I found that it was almost this fear of like, if I didn't know something about this, then I must be dumb. Or And then now I, I've just recognized the saying, I don't know. I honestly don't know anything about that or, or I don't care.
1: Oh, even you better. Know, like, yes, <laughs> yeah. I
0: mean, like, like when Kanye West pouts off his his completely inane stuff, right. I just look at it and shake my head. I'm like, okay. You know, <laughs> so- I honestly, I honestly don't, I don't get worked up about it. I mean, he's just he's some dude with a loud mouth who makes music that some people like, and that's really all it is. Right. But listening to some of the inane stuff that comes out of his mouth, I'm like, wow, I. I would never want to hang around with that person. And you know, when I think about it, I'm like, wow, what must his life be like to to have those kind of thoughts rolling around in his head.
1: Right.
0: You know. And I I'm glad I'm not him. I would hate to be him because I think he's a very lost person. And I mean, so I guess I do have a little bit of an opinion on him, but but I don't I don't waste a lot of time on it. And it it has absolutely no impact on my life. He can say whatever he wants and I don't care. Exactly.
1: Yeah, is it we get to choose how many things we care about. I heard you, you know, but this book is one of my favorites, The Subtle Art, by Mark Manson. You know the one? Yeah, no,
0: it's yeah, that's that book was a really good one for me. And yeah, when I read that, it was just like, oh, I mean, it, and a lot of it are very, very stoic ideas. So, and mm-hmm. I read that actually before I started getting more into Stoicism, and <laughs> it yeah, it definitely clicked with me a lot. And I I like that idea of of, you know, you only have so much energy. Don't waste it on things that are unimportant.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Choosing, I mean, choosing the things that you care about and choosing not to care about the other ones. It's kind of like the dichotomy of control, but I don't know, be yeah. more mother maybe.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely, and that that really struck, struck me very, very sharply. It was just like, yeah, you just don't have time to worry about all these things, so why get yourself in a fuss over things that you have no control over and can't do anything? It's like, you know, I'm not a fan of Trump at all. <laughs> I I think he's a complete moron. I, you know, I could go on and on about it. And occasionally I'll, I'll find myself getting a little bit, and I just, you know, I was like, okay, there's nothing I can do about it. I'll just let that go. But uh, one of the things that I also really liked from Mark's book was he talked about being uncomfortable and, you know, what are you willing to suffer for? Exactly. And I think that's another thing within stoicism is that it helps you to see things much more clearly that sometimes the things you want, it's gonna suck to get there. And it's gonna be really, really difficult for you to get there. But that when you get comfortable with being uncomfortable and get get comfortable with living with uncomfortable emotions and sitting with those emotions, that brings a lot of power in your life. So rather than having to And that's where a lot of control happens is, you know, someone, maybe somebody disagrees with your opinion and you're like, well, no, you should have this opinion. You know, this is, this is the right way to think about it. And so you put all this effort into trying to change somebody else's mind. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon you end up, you know, really upsetting the other person and you guys end up in a fight. Whereas if you just kind of sat with that, wow, here's this person that I really like and they have a really strong opinion, the opposite way of me, this feels kind of uncomfortable. I'm going to, I'm just going to sit with this because I really care about them. And okay. And so you, I mean, you know, that's just a small example of interpersonal stuff, but learning how to sit with uncomfortable feelings and being able to look at yourself and recognize, you know, wow, I I can be a jerk sometimes, or I said these awful things to somebody that I didn't mean to and being able to just sit with that and go, okay, you know, sometimes I... I'm not maybe the nicest person around or I'm not as great as I think I am. And being able to sit with that allows you to, one, to know yourself better, and two, to sit with uncomfortable emotions and to really push through hard times and hard things. So learning to be uncomfortable with the, or learning to be comfortable with the uncomfortable was another thing that he talked about. How willing are you to suffer for the things you want?
1: Exactly. And is is that putting in perspective that goes back to Marcus, the the view from above, how how you can see your situation in the big scheme of things and realize it's not not the biggest deal. Like I really love that one.
0: Yeah, and if you can't put things in a perspective like that, then it oftentimes will free you up from, you know, uh analysis paralysis. Because really? oftentimes we'll look at a decision and think, Oh my gosh, this is so huge. How am I ever gonna make this decision? This is so hard. When you can take that 30,000 foot view and look down on it and go, oh, wow, that's really a small thing in kind of the whole, the whole long length of my life, or, you know, maybe short length of my life, however you want to look at it, but it's really just a small thing. It's not that big of a decision that will often free you up to be able to make that decision that you want to, or make the harder decision and go, yeah, I know I really want this thing right now, but it's better if I push it off until later, because I know in the future, this will be a better thing for me than it is right
1: now. Exactly. Putting things in perspective always, and then I was also, I was listening to your episode, a momentary loss of attention. And that's a very interesting one. How if we stop caring about the progress that we're doing, we, we lose, we lose the progress, we lose it all. So I wanted to ask you, like, that's very interesting. How do you keep yourself in check every day that you're progressing, you're going towards improving yourself?
0: I think it's, a lot of it is just developing an attitude of mindfulness. And that can come through so many different ways. Um, there are things like, um, you know, journaling every day. That's a big one. Um, if, if there's somebody that you can talk to about these things, talk to them. I think listening to podcasts or reading stuff. So it's it's got to be a daily practice of, of doing this. And for me... I found that doing, you know, 137 episodes in a row mm-hmm. really cemented these ideas, and so I kind of have a daily internal practice that's maybe not very deliberate, but I'm constantly kind of thinking about these ideas and checking these things, and it's become kind of a habit, um, and it's something that you just have to, you know, work on and strengthen every single day. And when you find yourself getting upset about something, make sure that you you stop. As soon as you can recognize, hey, this is this isn't working for me. This is really damaging towards me or people I love. You know, this practicing that stopping of getting angry about things, for example. Um, so I think it's just changing, changing your mindset and really trying to incorporate it on a daily basis. And however that works for you, you know, that's something that everybody needs to to find out. But yeah, it is. It is difficult because it's so easy just to let things, you know, really kind of spin you out. And, you know, like I said, you know, people watch political commentaries and stuff like that, and you just seem getting all kinds of angry about those kinds of things. And I think a lot of it is just making deliberate choices, you know. Hey, I, you know, I know when I listen to this show, I really get riled up and I get really angry. Maybe I won't listen to it as much until I am able to listen to it, you know, dispassionately and just kind of look at, Look at the facts about the thing. Um, the other thing I think that's really, really important is to make sure that you that you forgive yourself, that you have that self compassion with yourself. I think that's one of the bigger things as well. Is that we get really, really hard on ourselves because when we make a mistake, you know, we'll we'll knock ourselves down even further than where we were before. And so just recognize it and going, you know what, I screwed up. I'm human. And go ahead and let that go. I think that's a really big one. Now, it's not being easy on yourself because you have to make amends if you, if you screw something up and you have to fix the things that you do. But knocking yourself down and making yourself feel worse about something that you've already done that's bad doesn't do anybody any good. So I think that's another big component as well.
1: That was great. You just mentioned um, kind of the suspension of judgment as the Stoics call it. Which is just mm-hmm. stopping to to see if you're making the right judgment, or to realize that maybe you're seeing things in a light that is not beneficial for yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of that thing. And I, the I mean the tool that I that I really love about the Stoics is mainly memento mori. So remembering that death to put things in perspective. What what do you think about memento mori as a practice? How can we adapt it to this modern life without sounding too much morbid? Because people really struggle to grasp that concept. It's really hard. I've tried to explain it. and It's really hard for some people.
0: I think a lot of it is thinking about if I were to die tomorrow, would I be proud of today? Would I look at today with regret or would I look at it as, you know what? It was just another day, but I did, I did the best that I could. And it's the funny, you know, funny thing popped into my head. It's kind of like, Mm -hmm. have you ever seen Groundhog Day with Bill Murray?
1: Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Right.
0: Okay. To me, that's like the ultimate metaphor for life because you know we think about it you know here he is repeating this day over and over and over and the first time few times it happens or the first dozen times it happens he tries all kinds of things and he just kind of lives outlandish lady and, and then pretty soon he recognizes that wow this isn't making me happy well if I'm stuck in this hell I may as well make the best of it mm-hmm. and so he tries to be the best person that he can each and every day that he's living like that and that's how he finally escapes and I thought about it I'm like well we think it's this kind of extraordinary thing, but if you think about it, your daily life is very much like Groundhog Day. You do the same thing so many times in, you know every single day. You have these routines that you're living. So it's really just a metaphor for how life is. You're gonna be living the same day over and over and over for the most part for a long, long time. What are you doing every single day to make that your best day? And it doesn't mean, like I said, going out and skydiving because it's my last day. It's about how can I make this day the best day that it possibly can? You know, whatever the situation is, whatever comes up, how can I make this the best that it can be? And I think that's really what it comes down to is that would you be proud if you died tomorrow? Mm -hmm. Would you be like, oh, yeah, even if you didn't do anything grandiose or fantastic that you could look at it and go, yeah, yesterday, yesterday was not a bad day. But if you look back on it with a ton of regret then that should be a very clear sign of like, wow, this day has really gone off the rails. What can I do to get this day back on the rails so that it's, that it's much better.
1: Right. Right. And, and you personally, do you engage in this kind of thinking a lot? Do you kind of, because the Stoics also say this thing, like people we love, we should also consider that they will die soon. Like, I mean, they will certainly die at some given point. How, how useful is it in one's life to keep that reminder? Because that's a really tough thing to grasp.
0: Yeah. Um, for me, that's that's a tough one as well. Um, I remember after I turned 40, I kind of had this mm-hmm. kind of midlife crisis, mortality mm-hmm. moment, or, you know, I guess probably about a year or two where that idea of coming to terms with my death was really kind of scary. It was, you know, I think we all hit that point. You know, I'd look in the mirror and my... My skin was a little more, you know, some wrinkles here and it wasn't quite as smooth as it had been. And, um, you know, just that I was getting older, even though in some ways I still feel like I'm like 28, even right. though I'm 46, my, my energy level is more, you know, and the way that I look at the world is much more curious. I don't feel like I'm all that old. Mm. Um, but considering that other people will die, I think to me what that is, is it's appreciating them for, for them being here and it's that idea that if they if tonight was their last night how would i want them to be treated would i want that them to go out in a blaze of anger or would i want to be like you know what they could be dead in 10 minutes oh my gosh why would i why would i let this bad mood fester between us why would i let this thing sit here you know i want them to know how much i love and care for them so i'm gonna let this stupid thing that i was all worked up about just go and that to me is kind of the trick of getting out of a lot of those bad moods that you may have towards other people is looking at it going, well, what if they did die today? What if they died in 10 minutes? Oh man. Okay. Yeah. Is this thing really worth getting that upset about? Is this something that I can forgive in the future? Well, if I can forgive it in the future, why can't I forgive it now?
1: Well, that's amazing. And I think that's the real value of the When you invest in these tools and this touch. It really shows you that there's a lot more into it. Like memento mori is a simple concept, uh, just a phrase. It sounds kind of hard to to understand, but when you think of it this way, it really gives you this. This I love this word that the Greeks used to say, the Stoic Greeks eudaimonia, which is this Stoic joy, this this further joy. Yeah. Do you think with Stoicism you you've got to experience a deeper joy in life? How how would you compare yourself before Stoicism and after Stoicism?
0: Um. Definitely much deeper, definitely much more relaxed. And I think I think a lot of it comes in, and I talked about this on my podcast a couple of episodes ago, is that, is that it's helped me to have a deeper sense of things and I can look at life in a much more sincere manner. Um, I think that it's really easy for people to get very snarky or very negative. Um, I think our society has definitely spiral down towards the snarkiness of things. And for me, it's helped me to let go of that. I'm not that sarcastic of a person unless, you know, I'm, you know, just being silly with somebody and, you know, making, just goofing off with somebody. But sarcasm and snark are are things that I've always kind of had a difficult time with because growing up, sarcasm was was always a backhanded slap. It was always a way to insult somebody in a backhanded way. And so for me, I've learned that that you know that I don't appreciate that. So I I have been working more towards treating things very sincerely because I like the I like that idea of sincerity because you can be goofy and silly but still be very sincere. You can be upset about something, but if you're approaching it from a, a place of sincerity and saying, Hey, this is why I'm really upset about this thing. This is hard for me to deal with. We need to talk about this, then it's so much more than coming at it, you know, just in a full rage or really pissed off about somebody, that if you can imbue almost everything you do with a level of sincerity about things, you can be funny and sincere, you can be silly and sincere, you can be upset and sincere, you can be sad and sincere. It's, and the, what that does is that deepens everything that you're that you're working with. And I think Stoicism, because you you look at things in just a very pragmatic sort of way, and you look at things, try to understand things as they really are, and you accept things as they really are, it allows you to see that deeper part of life. Because if, you, if you're always worried about, well, this thing should be like this, then you're always trying to control things that you can't, and you can't focus on the things you can, you can't appreciate the things as they are. You're always wanting something to be different than it is. But when you can look at things and not try to control the things you can't, then you're accepting things as they truly are. Which means that you understand them as they truly are, and you can deal with them in a much more effective way, and you can appreciate some of the crappy things that happen in your life. You can go, "Yeah, this isn't great, but I can live with it. I can deal with it," rather than letting it get you stirred up and you know spinning you off in another direction.
1: Mm, that's really good, and I, I want to know how how you explain this. Which you mentioned in your podcast as well, but wish to have what you already have is. It's such a crazy concept because people don't see the sense of it. Like we don't always understand what it means to wish for what you already have. How would you explain that?
0: Um, Actually, it comes down to a term called uh, 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 what is it? Hedonic. Adaptation. um, Yeah, hedonic adaptation or acclimation, and it's that idea of, you know, when say that you, you know, you say that you want to write a. Ride a bike, for example. You decide you wanted to get into cycling, and so you buy a one hundred dollar bike. That's just a, you know, kind of a piece of junk, but it gets you from point A to point B. And you know, at first you had to scrape to get that hundred dollars together to buy that bike, and you're like, yeah, this is a great bike. And then as you get out there riding, and, and then you see other people's bikes, you're like, wow, this bike really isn't all that great. I, 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 hmm. okay. So then you save up some more money and then you, you buy a $500 bike and you're like, man, this bike is awesome. And you have that bike for another year or two. Right. And then you're just like, oh, wow, this bike is kind of crappy. I mean, look at that guy. He's got a nice, you know, titanium bike. I really want that one. And so you save up some more money and you buy that $2,000 bike and you have that. And then somebody else has, you know, there's always, when we have something that's better than what we had before And we look at the old thing that was at one time just awesome as something that's, you know, oh, wow, this isn't really all that great. Um, But I think that's kind of what happens with life. We get accustomed, we get acclimated to living a certain kind of lifestyle, for example, or we get acclimated to having certain kinds of things. And we're never satisfied with that. So taking a step back and going, wow, you know, this bike that I do have or this life that I have really is great and counting those blessings is saying, you know what, I, you know, I have this good bike or, and it, it definitely gets me from point A to point B. And I, I've been so happy with this and really appreciating that. But then that also means that you can look at things in a much more clear way rather than, and I think a lot of it comes down to uh, comparison. I think that's really what, where a lot of that unhappiness with that comes there was a guy that I worked with and I talked about this on my podcast mm-hmm. who we our work, we work for the same company and they were having a, uh, a company party where we went out on a boat. This was when I was living in Minnesota out on Lake Minnetonka, which is kind of the, the very ritzy area outside of Minnesota and, or outside of Minneapolis and, you know, million dollar homes, beautiful Lake. And it was during the summer and, you know, we we're going to have dinner and drinks and all this stuff that the company paid for. And I mean, it was beautiful. And I said, Hey, are you coming to this? He's like, no, it makes me very unhappy. And I'm like, how could a boat ride out on Lake Minnetonka make you unhappy? It's beautiful out there. Plus free dinner and we could hang out with people we like. And he was like, I look at all those homes and I'm, I'm just depressed because I don't have one. (laughs) And I was like, wow, that, and I was like, okay, you know, that to me was, he was choosing to be miserable because he was so focused on what he didn't have. And it was interesting because he, he was a refugee from, Uh, the former Soviet Union Mm -hmm. and, you know, had this great job and was making more money than he had ever dreamed about making in his life and lived in a, you know, a nice middle-class home, but was, was upset that he didn't have these million dollar homes. And I just thought, wow, that (laughs) it, it kind of floored me. I'm like, this is just that idea, you know, just, you know, and that's kind of an extreme case of it, but we, we can do that in lots of little things. So loving what we have is really important. And I mean, I know that when I come home and I look at my house and it, you know, I love my house It's, and I'm super happy in my home. And, you know, I I go to other friends' homes and there's a part of me which goes, oh, wow, this is so much nicer than mine. This is beautiful. Wow, I wish I had this and wish I had that. And, you know, I have to be careful of feeling envious of that, but finding that balance and being okay with like, yeah, this is a beautiful home and this would be really nice. But I am happy with what I have, or and I am happy with what I have. It's not an either or; right. it can be, it can be an all. Like I can appreciate your great home, and I can appreciate what I love about my home. Huh. So I think a yes and approach can probably do a lot to alleviate that, because I think a lot of it is just comparison to what we have or don't have, and that's where we, where we run into that trouble.
1: Right, I love that. Um, It's it's kind of your friend that you were telling me about right now. It's it seems like that is the dangers of of living a life without philosophy, maybe. And talking about possessions and and all of these, uh, I don't know if you know about minimalism, the philosophy.
0: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, uh, Leo Babauta. Right. Uh, I read a lot of his stuff on Zen habits right. and so on. Right, right. Um, yeah, and for me, I I occasionally go through that. I know that you know I. I looked in my closet the other day and I have a fairly good sized walk-in closet and I have probably about 80% of the clothes in there I have not worn in the last two years. And so it's one of those things where I need to go through and get rid of that. So I do that occasionally. I will get on kind of a binge and just minimize, you know, get rid of a lot of the stuff that I have. And it's hard because a lot of times we have these things that that we really liked at one point and maybe we don't like them as much anymore. And so we feel kind of guilty about getting rid of those things. Um, But I think minimalism, you know, I think we should all practice that to some degree. I think that we could be much, much happier if we only had the things that we really wanted and needed. Um, It also relieves a lot of mental clutter for sure. But minimalism, I think is, I think it's a great philosophy. I I imagine that the original Stoics were probably fairly minimalistic. Um, I wish I could say that I was better about that, but I'm, I'm working on that and I'm very comfortable with the things that that I have in my life. I, I don't sit and go, oh, well, I want, you know, all these new things right. because, you know, I, I like what I have. Like, you know, I am a cyclist and I have a few bikes and I, I really love the bikes that I have and I don't need to go out and buy another $7,000 bike and not that I have a $7,000 one, but I don't need to go out and buy one like that because what I have, I'm very, very comfortable and very happy with and I've learned to be comfortable and happy with that. And I I get rid of a lot of the things that I don't need. And that's really helpful.
1: Right. Yeah, no, I, I love it because I've been trying to get someone who talks about minimalism in the podcast. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I try to practice both minimalism and stoicism. Because I think it's it's like there's this parallel. Seneca says all the things we think we own aren't really ours. They're kind of like loaned. Everything is borrowed. So, yeah. yeah, like all of that in possessions is... It's really amazing how how we get so attached to things when really what matters is the people that surround us, the the choices we make to live a better life.
0: Um, Yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty true. I think that we can get stuck on things and I think it's in some ways because, you know, buying something new, we oftentimes this is the thing that's going to make me feel better. You know, when we're depressed, what do people do? They call it shopping therapy, they go out and shop. And it's like, well, that doesn't, that doesn't really make you feel better. It doesn't really help you, you know, work through that kind of thing. But I think we use things as distractions because that keeps us from having to do the hard work. So I think that's another reason why buying stuff tends to make it difficult for, or why we tend to go out and buy a lot of stuff is because we're looking to distract ourselves.
1: Right? Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's all about the mindset. It all comes down to the way you perceive things. And there's another practice that I wanted to ask you, like a negative visualization. How how does that help in your life? Do you engage a lot in it? Or is it something that you don't practice as much as the other stoic tools?
0: Um, I do occasionally. Um, oftentimes when, I, when I'm in a stressful situation, I will do that. Um, I found it kind of interesting because there was a time when I when I practiced that, and it was long before I even knew anything about Stoicism, I was working for a small company, and I just got divorced, and so money was really, really tight. And they started bouncing a whole bunch of my paychecks, and uh, there was one point where I had seventeen dollars to last me for a week, and I was, I was a bit stressed out by it. I was just like, "Oh man, what's going to happen?" And so I started finding myself getting really, really worried about all this and getting worked up about it. And then I was just like, "Okay, well." It's, hold, you know, hold your horses here. And so I sat and I just kind of thought about, okay, what if the worst happened? What if I didn't have a job? What if, you know, all these things happen? And I walked through that worst case scenario and I simply asked myself a question, would I survive? And I thought, yeah, I'd figure out a way to survive. Even if that meant that I had to go work at a coffee shop or, you know, whatever it is that I needed to do in order to get by, I, I would do that. I would be able to get by, and it was like, okay, now that I've walked through that worst case scenario, and it's, it's, you know, it's not fun, but it's very doable. Yeah, I'd be okay with that, and it just relieved a lot of stress because, you know, if the worst did happen, then I would be okay.
1: Right. Yeah. That putting things in perspective, and I think a lot of times when we get stuck in these things it's ego. Um, do you know Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday?
0: Yep, I've been reading it. Right. So it's, it's so a good. good.
1: One. What, what do you think of ego? How do you think the Stoics approach the ego? Wow.
0: Um, ego is always a really difficult one because right. it's it's an interesting concept that is oftentimes hard to explain to people when we say, well, it's your identity, and they go, well, what is that supposed to mean? and you know, you kind of walk through the different exercises and this is where people like Alan Watts were really good about that is they, you know, are you your body? Well, if you are your body, what happens if you lose an arm? Are you no longer, are you no longer you? Are (laughs) you no longer a whole person? Well, no, you're, you're still you. Okay. Well, if, does that mean that you are your thoughts? What if somebody else had the exact same thoughts as you? Does that make them you, you know, if, you know, your memories. What if somebody else stole your memories somehow? You know, if you could take your memories, upload them to a a USB drive and pop it in somebody else's head, now are they you? (laughs) And You know, that's, so when you can kind of, you know, break that down and get them past that, it's like that essential thing inside of you that is watching you, the the watcher, if you will, is oftentimes what they call it. That is the non-ego. That is the essential part of you. The ego is, all of this other stuff that you built around, that's you, it's, it's what you do for work. It's what, you know, the thoughts you have about yourself and the world, it's all of these things. And when that feels threatened, when that identity, you know, when there's a mismatch there, it's often very difficult because we've worked so hard to present this, you know, this view to the to the world and to show the world that, yeah, you know, I'm smart, I'm sharp, I'm, I've got my shit together. I'm, you know, this is what I am. And then when we have moments or times when we don't, when we fail to hold up to this, this mask and this presentation of who we are to the world, then oftentimes it's, you know, we feel really scared and we feel threatened. So it's, it's a. it's one of those trippy concepts that you kind of have to take some time and really delve into. And I did that earlier this year because my girlfriend is like, Well, you know, you're doing this because of your ego. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I I don't get that. Let me, you know, let me really dig into this. And it, it took a little bit of research to kind of delve into that idea. And because it's a little bit it's a bit nebulous and it's kind of hard to explain. So for me, that was once I kind of, you know, got that idea of You know, ego is that projection of who you think you are to the rest of the world. And when that feels threatened, and then oftentimes we feel threatened and we will get really defensive about things. Because oftentimes the way that what we think we are and what we've presented to the world really isn't so. And that's that's kind of scary because it means that we're not who we think we are and we're constantly changing. And I think the less that we hold on to that identity which is, which is a strange practice when you think about it. Um, but it's that willingness to be flexible. It's that willingness to be wrong. It's that willingness to say, I only know as much as I know. And that's only as much as I think I know. Um, you know, it's like somebody once said, you know, you should have a strong opinion, but hold it loosely. Hmm. So as long as you, you know, you think it's a well-reasoned opinion, Be okay with standing up and and holding on to that strongly. But as new information comes in, don't be afraid to completely discard that and know that you could be 100% wrong. And, you know, we want to be on the right side of things. We want to have the right opinion about something. We want to be on the right side of things. And so we will defend our side, even sometimes when we know that it's wrong, but it's because it's the side that we chose.
1: Right. Is, Is the reason why there are wars?
0: Yeah, there are absolutely reasons why we... We uh, have war, and I think a lot of that is because my side is the right side, right? And you know, I, you know, it's it's some of it is that conviction bias, which Robert Greene talks about. You know, because we have said this, we've staked a claim on this is what we believe. We will oftentimes double down on it when when we find that wavering. You'll find that people in religion do that. People who you know are very nationalistic, they will double down on this belief. Because if if it comes to light that they were wrong, oh my gosh, I can't be on the wrong side. Oh, that would be horrible. So they will they will almost go to an extreme to prove that this is they chose the right side. I, I care about it this much, so it must be right, right?
1: <laughs> no, it's is this um, understanding that some things are external, some things are internal, and when we try to find for fight for the things that we really believe in, it really damages us because we're so sure about it and when something in the external is opposing that is an, like an opposing force. So I, I really believe in the stoic sense of kind of like internalizing your goals, making sure that what you're doing is inside of your control and letting, letting go of the rest, as you always say. So what do you think about that? Like internalizing your goals?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's really what it comes down to because otherwise we're trying to control other people, we're trying to control situations that we can't really control. And oftentimes it cause a lot more damage. When we try to control the things that we can't. And it's not easy to understand what we can and can't control. That takes a lot of discernment to be able to go, yep, this is something that's within my control and this is something that's not. But when we start trying to control how other people should believe, how other people, you know, should behave, then we're we're treading on dangerous ground here. And that's that's where so many of the conflicts in the world happen is because this group over here believes that this other group should act this certain way and we're going to do it by force. We're going to make them act this way. That's really what war is all about. Is it saying that, you know, it's either, you know, we want your stuff, which happens a lot, okay. or we think you should act this way and we don't like the way that you're acting. So we're going to beat you up until you start acting this way. <laughs> right. And you know, you can't ever, and we've seen that, The stuff like that doesn't work very well. I mean, how many countries have been occupied? And then we have, you know, there's an insurgency because they don't like being told how to live their lives. They don't like being controlled that way, you know? And it always drives me crazy because, you know, like we look at the war in Afghanistan, you know, and people on American side were like, well, can't they just see we're here to give them freedom? We're freeing them. And it's like, okay, if Canada invaded us and they had troops on every single street and were telling us how we were supposed to live and they were shooting our kids because they thought that they might have a, a, a gun and it happens to be just you know a, a cell phone, how would you feel about that? And, but, and they don't want to think about that because that means that they, they could be backing the wrong side. So a lot of people will not engage in that kind of thought. And then they just immediately go, what, are you anti-American? Why do you hate America so much? You know, and it's like, I don't, I just hate the fact that we're killing people for no particular reason, because we think that we have the right to go in and, and do these types of things. And I find that people do not like it when you bring that up, when you say those kinds of things, <laughs> they, they get really upset about that because basically they backed this side and said, this is how it's supposed to be. And when you point out the the flaws in their thinking, rather than actually approaching it, they... They start to feel that that anxiousness of, you just pointed out that they were wrong. And so oftentimes they get very, very angry about those things. And that's why talking about politics and religion is, you know, people always joke around that those are the things you should never talk about at family gatherings.
1: So, yeah, no, it's I, I love this quote, which is, I don't know it very well, but it's kind of like, it's a mark of a wise man to entertain a thought, even though they don't agree with it. So, I I forgot who said this, but it's it's this idea of being compassionate about the other side, about understanding where the other person is standing.
0: Yeah, very true. And I think it was also, I can't remember if it was Seneca Appetita said, you know, everyone is robbed of the truth against their will. It's that same idea that, you know, Mm -hmm. people are trying to do the best with the best that they can, they're trying to do what they think is the best. And, so, giving them the benefit of the doubt and looking at that thought and being, well, do they have a point with this? And maybe they don't. Maybe, entertaining that thought, you recognize, wow, this is really a flawed thought. But by, re- but by reckoning with that, by you know holding that thought in your mind and thinking through it, you at least gain some understanding in why they're thinking the way that they do, and that c- that can be very helpful for dealing with people who, you know, that you want to influence. If you can understand why they're doing what they're doing. Maybe you can talk to them about that, or, you know, the points where you might be able to actually convince them of some other way of, of behaving or
1: thinking. Right. That no, that's a good, that's a good way to put it. And okay. Yeah. A, a few couple of questions just to finish it up. I, I want to ask mm-hmm. you one that I usually ask the people that I interview here, mm-hmm. which is if you could ask a question to one of the Stoics, what would you ask and who would it be? One of the ancient Stoics. Oh,
0: wow. Um. That's a tough question. Um, I think it's a tough question because they've just given so much wisdom, and then they just repeated on that wisdom multiple right. times. That's why you'll find the same quote from the same people multiple right. times over. Um, wow, I don't know if I'd really have any questions because they <laughs> they gave it. You know, honestly, they they gave us so much, and it's a lot of it for me is an is that i don't really have lots of questions about how to do things because i think it's pretty well spelled out right. it's just the practice of doing those things just takes so much work that i don't have a lot of time to to ponder that right. um
1: I, I have asked because a few of the other guests they've, they've said something very interesting one of them said um they would ask seneca how he how he lived saying what he said and still have so much money, for example, that's a bit controversy, big controversy in Seneca. Mm-hmm. So if you can't come up with something that is about the books or their teachings, because they do have a lot of information, what would it be about them as as people?
0: About them as people. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, and I did think about Seneca and his, his amount of wealth.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and I think that's, to me, I don't see a contradiction in that because oftentimes mm-hmm. people who are very wealthy can take that wealth and, you know, Do a lot of great works in it. We want, I mean, honestly, I want good people to have lots of money. I don't want evil people to have lots of money. So I don't see that as necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I'd rather have somebody like Warren Buffett have you know 100 billion dollars than you know than Kanye West, for example. (laughs) Because I think Warren Buffett, when he starts giving away his money in philanthropy, is probably going to do a lot more good in the world than someone Mm -hmm. like Kanye, who would you know, I don't know, he'd blow it on, but um, you know. I know some people might get upset about me, just Connie, but he's kind of a controversial feature figure. But uh, um, I think for Marcus Aurelius, one of the things that that I would probably ask him is even with the, I mean, he was very wise and he was very compassionate, but there were oftentimes where that compassion, I think, blinded him to a lot of the the negative sides of the things that were going on in the empire, mm. and he let some things fester in some areas. Um, I think one of the biggest things would be, you know, how can you, how could you as emperor support some Roman imperialism when that is taking over a country and telling them how they should live? Because the Roman Empire was very big at the time, and it it controlled a lot of territories and a lot of people who didn't really want to be controlled, and they were often open rebellions in different areas you know, for every single emperor right. and how he felt justified in some kind of moral way to, to take over a country and control a country that way.
1: Mm. Mm, that's interesting. I mean, he still has kind of like a Senate and a lot of people to answer to. So it, it is tough, but yeah, after all, like he, he's super powerful and he had the chance to maybe decide not to do that. that. That's a good one. That's interesting.
0: Yeah. I think that would probably be one of my, that was one of the biggest questions I had. I'm like, how can you do that, you know, <laughs> if you <laughs> so, if you truly believe this way? But I mean, again, like you said, there were probably a lot of external mm. and extenuating circumstances with the Senate. And, you know, in some of it, I'm sure it was like, well, this is just how the Roman Empire is. And I, as much as I would love to just say, yeah, we're going to give up Germany and let the, you know, let the barbarians take care of themselves,
1: <laughs> right. you know, it's tough. <laughs> That's a good question, man. Mm
0: hmm. I think that one of the other things with with some of them would be I think another question would be with all three of them is mm-hmm. their attitudes toward women. You know, if
1: oh, right, right, right.
0: if you you know believe that, you know, in this way of thinking, how could you treat women as less than types of beings <laughs> because they're just as human as men are? Right. And how can you elevate the position of men above women? I think that would be a big question I would ask.
1: That's a good one and I think Even then, like even in the times, I think the Stoics had a bit more of an open mind towards it. And I don't know if you know that Masonis Rufus, Epictetus teacher, he really advocated Mm -hmm. for women and we lost a lot of his texts. But to me, he's like the first Stoic, the first person to, to really defend them. So I found that really interesting. That's a good one.
0: Yeah, I did I did find that um yeah. when I was looking up some things cuz I was I was thinking about that and that's but that's the only mention of it is Musonius yeah. yeah. um and I wondered why none of the other stoics stepped up and said, "Yeah, women should be in here just as much as men should." <laughs> right. Um I think that would have been that would probably be the biggest one I would ask all three of them is, you know, why don't you talk about these things?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean different circumstances, different times, but but yeah, definitely like they had the wisdom to to kind of like try to get a conversation started. Though there's a lot of externals that don't allow it either way but so but it's tough.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. So I can't imagine society back then. I think that would be it would be a difficult thing. I mean, I mean, I look at just in the time that I've grown up, um, the role of women and how much that has changed in society, you know, in the forty six years that I've been alive. You know, women when I was growing up would never have been right. in there's so many positions they never would have been allowed in or never would have even been hired for or considered for. And we look at that now and think, man, what a ridiculous idea. How did we ever think this way? How did we ever think that women were lesser than us? And, you know, you watch some of the movies from back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, and you see the role of women in these things. And it was, it's it's kind of sad that it's taken us this many millennia to get to the point where we recognize that women are equal. They're different for sure. I mean, just in physical, obviously, they, for the most part, are not nearly as strong as men. Y- you take a woman and a man the same size; the man is generally going to be stronger, just mm. by natural, right. you know, just the way that DNA works. Right. But as far as all of the other things that can go along with that, it's it's kind of crazy the fact that we've held on to these, you know, outmoded ideas that women just aren't smart enough, or creative enough, or clever enough to do all of these things. And I'm just glad to see that now um, so much has happened in our society that is changing a lot of these ideas. And I think as sad as, but as necessary has been as the Me Too movement has been a phenomenal thing. Because I know for myself, hearing about all of these stories was, it wasn't, it was surprising in a way, but not. And it was exceptionally shocking, but not. It was like, I recognized that a lot of this was going on. I just didn't see to what extent it was going on. That it was really that incredibly pervasive. And I'm so glad that the women had the courage to step up and say, "Hey, this is what's going on here." And you know, I'm all about, "Hey, keep talking about these things." And I know a lot of men were getting like, "God, they're just men bashing, and that's all it is. Why can't they stop talking about this?" And I'm like, "If you were being assaulted this way, if you were being treated like this, would you stop talking about it?" Well. Uh, Well, I just, you know, I keep it more private. I'm like, yeah, that's because as men, we are not, you know, we're supposed to be tough and strong. And if we were sexually assaulted, we'd never want to bring that forward, you know, because that would make us look weak, you know, oh, what were you doing to get assaulted? You know, you know, were your jeans on a little too tight, you know, or what What you know, whatever it was that, that,
1: Yeah.
0: yeah, and so. You know, when I see the Me Too movement and the, and the way that these women have been treated for so long, I'm exceptionally proud of them for stepping up because of the way that society still treats it. Oftentimes, you know, you still hear about that. A woman is raped and they say, well, what were you wearing? It's like, it doesn't matter what she was wearing. She does not deserve to be raped no matter what. She could be standing out in in public naked and she does not deserve to be raped ever. You know, but these attitudes that these people have had for so long need to be questioned. And I think that's a big part of stoicism is making sure that we question these things and that we look at them from a very pragmatic, logical, rational sort of way and say, well, if that's okay for a woman, is it okay for a man or vice versa? And, you know, there's no rational reason why it should exist for one and not for the other.
1: Right, this concept of citizen of the universe—we all belong to the same place. We should all be compassionate to each other and try to see things from each other's perspective.
0: Absolutely, and it's not easy. It's certainly not easy.
1: Definitely is, man. Awesome. Okay, uh, just uh, recommendations. What What is your favorite Stoic book out of the ancient ones? Out of the ancient
0: ones, Um, wow, that's tough because I. I mean, I love the pragmatism of Epictetus because you know, there's almost this bluntness to the way that he speaks. Right. So, direct. So, uh, you know, there's just, he really cuts to the quick of so many things. But on the flip side, I really love the compassion that Marcus Aurelius has. Right. He really works so hard to be so compassionate towards people. And he was dealing with some of the worst people around, the, the conniving, <laughs> the scheming, just the, you know, the difficulty of being in court was really, really a rough thing. But then Seneca is, was very eloquent and was very, he had a way of, of putting things in an almost sort of poetic sort of way so that, that really kind of strikes me well. And I can really see a lot of the way that I, that I kind of view the world in Seneca, you know, because right. he did have more of a privileged back background as mm-hmm. well, Definitely. but was also, was but also had the sense of mind to be able to look at his privilege and appreciate that privilege and understand that mm-hmm. so yeah it's hard for, it's hard for me to say <laughs> I, I guess I didn't answer your question I guess all of them <laughs> I think all of them bring different aspects and I think that for what somebody needs in their lives that each one of them can bring a different thing forward
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one meditations you can open up any page it's beautiful every passage Every verse just i can't highlight that book you just highlight it all yeah and the way
0: that he talks the way that he talks about kind of our place in the universe and kind of the i guess some people would almost call it metaphysical things you know of you know the idea of change you know that we you know he understands that when we eat food that it changes for us to get nourishment Mm. and that we're always constantly going through change um the idea that you know what happens when we die and he's like well don't worry about it because either nothing you'll be nothing and you won't know Or there will be something afterwards. So why worry about it? Because you can't control that's it. Right. And so it's just like, wow, that's that's he's got a great point there. There's nothing I can do to control it.
1: Right. Yeah, outside of our control. And then there's uh Seneca's letters, as you said, and Epictetus' lectures. Yeah, I mean I'm gonna link them all in the description because they're all amazing.
0: Yeah, and I mean a lot of Seneca's letters, you know, like that one friend of whose mm-hmm. uh I wish I could remember what the guy's name was. It was Luchini's. in one of my podcasts, Lucinius, yeah, Luchini. about two two podcasts ago where he talks about that, you know, and he, his his friend was so worried about this this going back and forth between, you know, wanting these great homes and wanting to give these great and eloquent speeches and, you know, basically struggling with his ego was was what he was dealing with, you know, and he's like he's like that's okay you're gonna struggle with that ego mm. and keep keep up the fight. And you will reach a point where you will have that supreme confidence in yourself to know that your values that you've decided on, that you've come to are great values and you will be able to be comfortable and humble and confident. And I was like, wow, that's, yeah, that's okay. kind of where I wanna be. I wanna to get to that point where where I'm, I'm totally comfortable with the values and stuff that I choose. And so I'm highly confident with those.
1: Right. Uh, yeah, that, that's setting news in the shortness of life. I'll just post it in the description as well. And I, I'll post uh, the episode you did about that because I remember and that's a really good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah
0: and it's something I think we all struggle with.
1: Right. <laughs> so good, man. Okay, thank you so much for your time. Can you tell us uh, where can we find your work and all of your info?
0: Yeah, you can find me at... <laughs> www.stoic.coffee. That's my main website. And I have links to uh, a whole bunch of different podcast providers. You can find me on pretty much every podcast provider. It's just called Stoic Coffee Break. Mm-hmm. Um, on my website, you can also sign up for my newsletter. Um, I have a Patreon account that you can go to. It's patreon.com stoiccoffee stoic coffee. Awesome. Um, there's also a link on my front page. And yeah, so that's kind of where you can find
1: me. Awesome, man. Eric, thank you so much for your time. I really wish you the best with your podcast. I can't wait to see what you keep producing. So best wishes to you and thank you so much for your time.
0: Oh, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. This has been really great.
1: (laughs) Awesome, Eric. So there you go. I really hope you enjoyed the interview. It was such an honor again to have Eric on the show. I'm such a big fan of his content. So definitely go check it out. Links are in the description. There's also show notes uh, on the link to my website where you can see books we mentioned in here, the resources, the titles that we recommend for you to read if you want to learn more about Stoicism, of course. So definitely go check that out in the description. Don't doubt on messaging me anytime at memento at gmail.com and go check out my Instagram account where I post almost every day the um, Stoic quotes from the ancient Stoics, the original three, Epictetus, Seneca, Marcus Aurelius. So I really hope you enjoy that. You can also message me there. So let me know if there are any requests for episodes you would like me to do or interviews that you would like me to interview someone. I would love to keep developing the skill of interviewing people I look up to. So once again, thank you so much for your time and Memento the Stoics. Bye.
0: Hey friends, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you like what you hear, I would really appreciate if you could help support me by making a pledge on Patreon. You can find me at patreon.com stoiccoffee. Even just a small amount helps in keeping this podcast going. Also, head on over to my website at www.stoic.coffee and sign up for our weekly newsletter. And lastly, if you know someone that might like or could benefit from this podcast, please share it with them. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to help this podcast grow. Thanks again for listening.